If you like to gamble, I tell you I'm your man. You win some, lose some, it's all the same to me. Hello and welcome back to the Motorcast. Uh, I am your host. My name is Howard H. Smith. You may know me as lead singer of UK thrash band Acid Rain. You may also know me from my own podcast, Talking Bollocks, where the great and the good of heavy metal meet to have a chat with myself. Um, but here, I am merely your guide through the world of all things Motorhead. Think of me as your guide around the Motorhead Museum. On your left there, you'll see a lovely interview that I did with Max uh, uh, from Sepultura quite a few weeks ago. And over there, you can also see an interview that I did with Lucas Fox, original drummer. Uh, You get the idea, okay? It's all about the Motorhead here. And it's all about, currently, it's all about the, um, well, the the, the first career-spanning very best of Motorhead. Everything louder forever. The definitive collection of their loudest anthems, which is out on the 29th of October, which is still the future, no matter when you're listening to this. Um... Uh, on October the 29th, you will be getting a, well, you, you can get deluxe fold-out quadruple LP version, right? Gatefold double LP version, two CD, as well as streaming and 3D audio. So, you know, there, when it comes to the greatest hits from the greatest band, this is the greatest collection of greatest hits from the greatest band that there ever was or shall be. So, if I were you, I would get on that pretty quick. So, what have we got coming up for you? Well, this is um, this was a, a, a really, really fun one to do. Um, because the simple fact is that um, Helen is from a part of the world where um, uh, I'm from, which is Yorkshire. Um, specifically myself, Nesborough, specifically uh, Helen's self, Leeds. So, anyway... Um, we ended up just having a really, really great little chat. Well, not even little chat, a long chat. There's some real, real interesting stuff here. I know you're going to enjoy it. So instead of just babbling on, why don't we just get on with the interview? Yes, let's do that. Here comes Helen Taylor, sister of Filthy Phil Animal Taylor. Hello. Hi, Helen. Hi, Howard. It is indeed. Hi, I've just been listening to your dulcet tone on your podcast. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, you, you've you've got me in real life. I don't know what to say. I'm only embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I've been, I've been, um, I've been doing some swatting this morning because you know, although I have little snippets of memories, you know, dates and things like that, I'm just rubbish with these days. Yeah. Um, and I've just received this week. I've just had the new No Sleep Till Hammersmith stuff sent oh, to me right. so I've been looking at that and and um looking at some old diaries and looking at the old fanzines and yeah it's uh been quite a trip down memory lane this morning in fact I've got a headache now <laughs> <laughs> oh well that 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 couldn't be more motorhead could it even even the memories of the good times give you a headache <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly well just reading about what I used to did do makes me exhausted <laughs> 
I, I know what you mean. I mean, I was I, I was in in our band first time in my band first time round about thirty years ago, and it got to a stage where memories from those days. All I always I always used to say they they it, they always feel like somebody else's memories. It's so long ago. Yes. Well, that's right. Sometimes I kind of think, did this happen to somebody else? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It feels so so far removed from my life now. Yes, um, yeah, I and and also I would imagine it was it was a you know a period of your life that was um, probably shaped your whole life and the way it's turned out. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely it did. Um, yeah. So how do we do this anyway? I mean, I've been listening to your other podcasts, and I know that um, um, you know, presumably we have this chat first, do we? And then you start to record, or what? Um, well, I, well, I started recording as soon as you picked up the phone. But don't worry. Oh, right. but, don't, but, but don't worry. But don't worry. <laughs> do, you, do you do an edit then? Do you edit yeah. it? Yeah, I do oh, do an good. edit. But I, but I will probably start. I will probably use uh, actually. You know, because we, we, I will probably use the beginning of the phone call because we, right. you know, it was. Well, the thing is, it was nice. It was. It was. It's nice and chatty, and you know, it, it it was just sort of two people preparing to do an interview. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's um, it, it's it's kind of cool. So we'll we'll chop all of this out, and it'll sound really slick and like you just. You know, you 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 just, you just picked up the phone and and did a brilliant interview. Don't worry, I'll, I'll oh, make I'll make, I'll make okay. you sound great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I hope so. I hate hearing my own voice. And not not that I do this sort of thing hardly ever. In fact, when when Wade first messaged me and said, you know, he'd suggested me for a for a podcast, my first thought was. Oh my god! Oh my god! What am I going to say? What am I going to say? Because you know, in all these things, these things, the the albums that have been re-released and all that since BMG um, took over, um, you know, it, all these people that have written things in magazine, in the magazines and the inserts and stuff, you know, a lot of them are people that I remember from those days, yeah. and. Uh, you know, sometimes, I, and, and, and this is this is kind of giving me a bit of an imposter syndrome in some respects, because sometimes I think, well, hmm, was I actually there? Because <laughs> nobody's <laughs> ever asked me anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then you come along and here we are. So now I feel kind of a bit on the spot now. Well, well um, yeah, you've, got, you've gone from imposter syndrome to um, <laughs> past validation into, am I good enough for the interview? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it is funny because well, one of the things, I mean, I mean, maybe I'll wait till we get on to the Port Vale thing, but one of the things I was just listening to with, uh, you know, Rick Saunders, the photographer. Yeah. Um, the one that you did with him, that um, a memory that I had um, that I remembered, he was talking about Lemmy's, when Lemmy's heel came off his boot. That's right, At Port yeah. Vale. And the, the bit I remember about that was Lemmy singing, you picked a fine time to leave me loose heel. <laughs> oh. the stage. and then and then he chucked his boot out and I think it hit somebody on the head oh, um, somebody moans it so yeah but that just reminded me again and uh, listening to your other podcast like from Kim um, in girls school and yeah. things, you know all these memories it's really weird listening to memories where other people were there too you know and listening to their versions of events and it's uh you know, it's kind of nice to think that they all remember the same things as I do. So, yeah, I wasn't making it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there must have, there must be a certain amount of that. A certain amount of yeah. Oh right, yeah. No, I do remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, and people's names too. Um, 
like, um, I couldn't for the life of me remember the name of the pub where Lemmy always used to be on Portobello Road. And um, I found a diary the other day. And there was a little few few little snippets from 1980. Sadly, I didn't I didn't carry it on. There was like a two year gap after that. But um, in that in that extract, um, I'd actually gone down to um, I'd gone down to London to go to Straight Music to pick up my tickets to Bingley Hall. Right. And I was really really nervous. And. Uh, I went to, um, I eventually went to Straight Music, I remember, and I met John Curd, this this huge scary guy who I sort of described as the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> and um, he, he, the the girl in his office let me use the phone. Cause I was, oh, she was trying to find me the phone number of the pub, and I couldn't remember. The, the, all I knew the pub as was the Alex, and I thought, oh, that's it, it was called the Alex. It's actually called the Princess Alexandra. Ah, right, and, yeah. Um, I had to. I went to a phone box and I phoned up the pub to see if Lemmy was there. And Lemmy came to the phone and told me to get in a cab. And I went over there to the pub where he was playing Space Invaders or whatever, like he normally is. And uh, he he, took, he offered offered me some money for the cab, and I said, "Oh, I've already paid it." So he put it back in his pocket again <laughs> <laughs> and carried on carried on playing. Um, Playing Space Invaders, and uh, I just sat around in the pub, as we often did, because me and my boyfriend at the time, Paul, who used to help with the fan themes and stuff, he um, he usually came with me, but for some reason on that occasion, I, I went on my own, and, uh, you know, it ended up with, in, in the diary, I'd written that I'd sort of hung out in the pub all afternoon watching Lemmy play Space Invaders, and then talking to some drunken man who was apparently a friend of Lemmy's, but then everybody in the Alex was a friend of Lemmy's. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then we'd walked we'd we'd walked back to his flat in Colville Houses where he lived the um, basement flat and I'd showed him some of the fan club letters from the fans and stuff and he'd read through them and he said oh I'll write I'll I'll write some letters back to people later on when we get back from the pub because in those days the pubs used to shut yeah, you know at lunchtime yeah. and then they'd open again in the evening so we went back to the pub as soon as it opened again. <laughs> <laughs> Spent the whole evening in the pub again, um, and then I think I probably ended up sleeping in the TV room in in the flat where where most people spent their time in the TV room at Colville Houses, where there was just all night long there was just people coming in and out. You know, the telly was constantly on with videos playing and stuff, and um, you never got any sleep basically because there was just some tatty old sofa in there that wasn't even long enough to lay on. Right. Um, so, yeah, that was just one of my memories that I found in the um, in my diary. But I, I suppose, um, do you want me to start from where I start, got involved with the, well, the motorhead I, bangers? Well, or? this is well, this is what I was going to say, because, um, you know, really, you know, you, obviously you were, you were integrally involved for... Um, you know, quite a few years. So, yeah. yeah, where did it, where did it all, how did it all start? Well, for me, I mean, it started, obviously, um, I was living in Leeds and I just started art college when my first memories of Phil, you know, every now and again, I mean, Phil was already living in London, but every now and again, he'd phone home and sort of say what he was doing. He'd either been arrested for something or, you know, he'd got done for drugs or whatever, or he needed money, or you know, it was it was never good news when he rang up. But um, 
Um, he 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 rang um, to tell us that they were doing that Motorhead were doing some gigs and um, that the nearest one to us was going to be Doncaster. And he said to me, "Oh, oh, I'll come and pick you up and take you to Doncaster in our white. We've got a white Mercedes." So I got all excited, you know, but it didn't actually happen. And on the night of this Doncaster gig, um, I remember phoning up and they said that they hadn't turned up anyway because they'd had car trouble. (laughs) So they'd not actually made it to the gig anyway. Um, But he did send me a Motorhead T-shirt because I just started art college then and I I wore it at college and everyone was like, oh, it's really cool. Where did you get that from? (laughs) Um, And then on November the 14th, uh, 1976, they did a gig at the Ford Green in Leeds. Phil and Eddie came to my mum and dad's beforehand. I know all these details because I've got a diary from 1976 and I've actually written it all down. So yeah, so we went to the Ford Green, me and me and a, f- a couple of friends and my dad, and my dad took some pictures. I mean, there are pictures, I think there's some of those pictures out there where there were just, you know, no lighting, there's just this red curtain hanging behind them. Um, do you know the Ford Green? Aren't, do you know? Aren't you from Leeds? I, well, it's funny you should say that. I'm from uh, I'm from down the road, Nairsborough. Oh, Nairsborough, right? Yeah, 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 near Harrogate. Yeah, yeah, which is basically what Nairsborough's famous for, which really annoys me because it's a it's a beautiful little market town. But yeah. Oh yeah, Nairsborough's lovely. Yeah, it's isn't beautiful. it? But it it gets it gets lost in the shadow of Harrogate. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, oh, I tell you, I tell you what, I'll be editing, I'll be editing this bit out as well. Okay. <laughs> you, 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 you and I reminiscing about it. Oh, Nesbro, Nesbro <laughs> yeah. is lovely, isn't it? It's a lovely yeah, day yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think Motorhead fans will be that interested in that. No, I anyway. think you're right. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the Ford Green. I don't know if you ever went to the Ford Green in Leeds. Um, it doesn't ring a bell, to be honest. I didn't get through to it Leeds was, much. Um, well, it was quite a popular pub. It was it was in Harehills, and it was um, it, it was it, a lot of bands played there. It was a bit of kind of it was kind of like the marquee of Leeds, I suppose. Right. Um, it was a bit of a dump, but but lots of bands played there. And um, anyway, it was a Sunday night when Motred played there. And as I say, Phil and Eddie came to. I was living at home with mum and dad, and they came to me, mum and dad, and um, had some sandwiches before they went for the sound check. And uh, then we all went over to the Ford Green, and um, that's when I met Lemmy for the first time. And I put in my diary, I said he looked really tough, but he wasn't at all. (laughs) 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 He was really nice. Um, And um, we played pool with him, and... uh, uh, the, uh, the gig was the gig was great. It, uh, it was it was really full, and everybody seemed to enjoy it. And uh, you know, it, uh, it was it was I don't know. It felt exciting. I'd got my Motorhead T-shirt on. I think I was probably the only person in there that had one on. And um, Phil came and stayed at my mum and dad's after, and I think he got the train on to the next gig the next day, which was Chester or somewhere like that. But that was the first time that I actually saw Motorhead. Um, and as I say, my, my dad was a photographer, so he took he took loads of pictures. And as I say, I'm sure there's some of them out there somewhere where yeah. they're just they're all in denims. There were no no leathers and no bullet belts then either. <clears throat> I remember they were all wearing denim. Um, so that was that was my first gig. But then um, after that, obviously things carried on, and um, I went to other gigs. 
and then there's kind of a bit of a gap really until like 1979. Um, so I mean, I did go to a lot of the gigs on the Bomber tour. Um, well, I don't remember a lot of them. I mean, <laughs> the, <laughs> I suggest, that, does, that does suggest that they were pretty good then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, they were the Bomber was absolutely amazing. I remember it was completely awesome. It. I remember first time I saw it, it was the same feeling I had as when I first saw the Grand Canyon. It was like a real kind of, wow, this is totally awesome, you know, when the, when the sort of um, the music, I think they used to start with Overkill or something, and, and as soon as the, it started and the bomber came rising up, the lights came on and they all started to spin. I mean, in those days, it was a real phenomenon, you know, never seen anything like it. It was yeah. absolutely incredible. Well, and, everybody, um, everybody who saw it has has said that you know, even by today's standards, it was it was impressive. But if you can imagine oh, it back it then, it's the kind of thing that you know sticks in everybody's memories. Because you know, I've spoken to a number of people now, and anybody who mentions who saw that is is just awestruck. Yeah. Oh, it was. It was completely amazing, and and I mean. In, uh, on on most of that bomber tour, obviously I wasn't doing the fan club, so you know I got to enjoy all the all the ligging, all the hanging around backstage, all the you know. My mum and dad used to come to a lot of gigs. My dad was always there with his video camera because um, you know he was one of the first. I don't know if you remember the early early video cameras were like those huge great box things that people had on the shoulders, right? And uh, my dad had one of those. And he used to turn up at gigs, you know. Um, he was he was a very proud dad, but I think he got he did get on people's nerves a bit in, in, at the time because he was always there with a bloody video camera sticking it in people's faces. He he was way um, ahead of his time. Uh, well, I know. Yes, it turns out. But um, yeah, the first gig I, I really remember in 1979 was Reading Festival. Ah. I went to Reading uh, in 1979. And um, my boyfriend at the time, Paul, who who did the fan club with me, as it turned out, but we went in his car, and um, I think early on in the day, he went off to buy some batteries for his camera or something, and uh, he never came back. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, nobody had any mobile phones or anything those days, so I had no clue what had happened to him. So there I was backstage at Reading. Um, I met. I remember meeting John Peel. I took a picture of John Peel with another friend of ours, and and Phil. Um, there, there is a famous picture of Phil somewhere with his hands on the tips of a of um like um uh, some statue, some white statue of a woman or something. That was backstage at Reading. Ah, uh, right. And it was um, it was the same place where I took my, my pictures of uh, John Peel and my friend and. Because I was so worried about Paul, my boyfriend, I remember um, Rini was there, who Phil was um, in a relationship with at the time, motorcycle Irene, and uh, she was giving me drinks and God knows what else and sort of (laughs) trying to get me to forget, you know. So by the time I remember when Motorhead actually came on, sort of being dragged up to the side of the stage and kind of swaying about on the side of the stage, (laughs) watching Motorhead and just seeing this sea of people in front of me because I've never been to a festival before so that was um, that was amazing but then um, Paul finally came back about midnight, he'd missed the whole thing and what happened was he'd driven over he'd driven over the middle of a roundabout and got arrested 
and spent the day in a police cell. Bloody hell! <laughs> and they let him out at like midnight, so he'd come back at midnight. He'd missed the whole thing, and I was like, I, I mean, I think I just passed out at that point. I was so off my face. So that was quite <laughs> that was quite a memorable one. Yeah, um, ever so slightly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean. What was it like, and, and, and this is possibly a, an unanswerable question, so I kind of apologise for asking it, but, you know, what was it like growing up with, you know, Phil as a brother? Because he just strikes me as just a, a ball of energy to have been well, around. Well, actually, it was it was very unpleasant to start with because he hated me. Ah. Um, yeah, because he wanted a brother, you see, and I was because he'd already got a sister, and he didn't want another sister, and because uh, there was five years between us, and um, no, he didn't like me at all. He used to torment the hell out of me when we were kids. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. To hear that. <laughs> this this has gone in a direction I wasn't expecting. <laughs> no, no. Well, that's yeah, but that's that's what he was like, I'm afraid, and and. Um, you know, as we got older, I suppose he and I think he had his own problems. You know, he 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 was quite he was quite small as a as a kid, and I think he had a so he used to get um you know he used to get bullied a bit at school and things because he was sort of little and weedy, and then he had a bit of a growth spurt when he was older. I remember, and uh, you know, and um, things started to change. But then, as a as a sort of teenager and stuff, when we moved to Leeds, he he just we was a skinhead for a while, and he used to get into trouble and. I remember he used to keep a crowbar in his in his wardrobe <laughs> for, right. for, his, for his nights out, you know. Right, okay. And uh, <laughs> he used to have the whole skinhead gear, you know, and he used to go out and he was... My dad was always getting phone calls from the police saying, I'll come and collect your son from the, the police station, you know, we've just caught him underage drinking in the pub or whatever. So, I mean, you know, it's a famous story that my dad bought him a drum to sort of take out his frustrations on, which... Um, which is how it all started. Yeah. And then they had a few drum lessons, I think, at Leeds Music College. And then it's kind of started from there. He just took off from there. And then he went to London and, you know, um, which again was a bit of a blur for me because um, I was only like 12 at the time when he left home. So to be honest, I didn't take a, a lot of notice really what he was doing after that. Um, not until he got a job delivering records, and then suddenly he was giving me free records for Christmas, which was quite nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it was during that time, sort of seventy four, seventy five. I think that's when he sort of met Lemmy, and and things started to take off. And and as I say, and then I sort of became more aware of what he was doing once he joined Motorhead. Yeah. So. But, um, yeah, we had a fairly turbulent life. I mean, we moved to Leeds when he was 15, I was just 10, and uh, and he literally had, you know, spent his last not even a year of school in a new school, you know, in a new city with new people. And so I suppose it was a bit unsettling for him and everything. So, yeah, yeah, he, he was always a rebel, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know. He used to practice on me as a punch bag when I was a kid. So, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you see, yeah, he gave me various nicknames over the years as well. I think uh, one of them was Barrel because I used to be quite podgy when I was a kid, so he used to call me Barrel. <laughs> <laughs> it's, isn't it amazing the things that we do when we're kids that we think are perfectly fine? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you 
know, it's so ironic, really, the way things turned out, because obviously, I mean, a lot lot, a lot later, I remember once backstage at a gig at, um, at Bradford, um, when we we were, got drunk together, and I remember him apologising to me for all those nasty things he used to do to me when I was a kid. So, you know, it was all good. Once we grew up, I forgave him. So... Uh, you know, it was uh, it, uh, just circumstances, I suppose, the things you do when you're a kid. Yeah, yeah, and well, then, yeah, and then you kind of, and then that that relationship um, with him. Obviously, he's moved to London, and then you know when Motorhead start getting busy and touring. Presume, yeah. I mean, you know, did he did he come home or, or at least back to Leeds much, or was it just a case of literally, you know, seeing him at gigs and that was it? Well, yeah, mostly. I mean, sometimes he would come home for Christmas and, you know, it would kind of make or break Christmas, really, whether he came home or not. Because um, <clears throat> he was always a life and soul, you know, and um, yeah. we had some great family Christmases when he was at home. But, you know, it was it was always a bit of a damp squid, especially because he, sometimes he used to say he was coming and then at the last minute he didn't, you know, so that kind of threw us a bit. But mostly we used to see him in London, you know, my mum and dad used to go down to London because uh, my sister was living in, uh, my older sister was living in London then anyway. Because when Phil first went to London, he lived with her for the first year he was down there. Right. Because he didn't know anybody else. And um, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, we used to we used to see him mostly in London and, mo- and at gigs. Uh, my mum used to go to gigs as well. She used to stuff her ears with cotton wool. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and go to the gigs, yeah. But um, um, yeah, and uh, it was it was actually in 1979. It was the last um, the gigs at Hammersmith Odeon, the end of the Bomber tour. Yeah. And it was actually my dad that had this great idea of starting the fan club, and he actually named it Motorhead Bangers um, because of you know kids head banging at gigs that yeah. he observed. And um, we spoke to the the band. And asked them what they thought, you know, because at the time, I think Alan Burridge was doing a newsletter or something. Brian Torn and Alan Burridge were doing something. Um, but there wasn't, like, an official fan club. Yeah. Um, so my dad thought, you know, oh, we, you know, we've got the family connection. We can, you know, we can uh, be, you know, we can, we can do a good service here. We can give yeah. people an inside sort of view of, of the world of Motorhead sort of thing because of the family connection, I suppose. And we spoke to the band about it and they were, I mean, Phil was a little bit dubious, which is understandable, I suppose, at first, because, you know, when your family start getting involved in your in your job, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you don't really want them sticking the nose in it. But, it, you know, he was all right with it in the end. Um, and that's probably why, actually, that during the course of doing the fan club, we spent far more time with Lemmy than we did with Phil because um, right. when when Paul and I used to go to London because we used to do um, an interview with the band for every fanzine that we did so we'd go down and um, stay the weekend with Lemmy we'd get, get them all three of them together and, and do an interview you know which was always hilarious and great fun um, but we, we'd, um, we'd, we'd we'd always stay at Lemmy's at Colville Houses we'd very rarely stayed with Phil because Phil I think Phil lived he, he lived with Eddie for a while and he lived with somebody else for a while you know he didn't whereas Lemmy's place was fairly constant everybody went there you yeah. know 
Um, and um, so, yeah, we we launched the fan club at the, that gig at Hammersmith Odeon at the end of the Bomber Tour, and um, there was a couple of um, fans, um, Pete and Les, who'd sort of been following them around from the beginning, these two guys from Newcastle. And they actually became um, MHB numbers one and two, <laughs> right. which um, Pete, sadly, Les, Les passed away a while ago, but Pete, um, who I'm now in touch with again, is always telling me, you know, that by default that makes him the number one motorhead banger because Les, Les was number one, but he's now number two. Uh, he's now number one because he's, he was he's been promoted. Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, those two guys were—they were fantastic. They helped us a lot, and and you know, they knew all the band by name by then because they'd followed them round right from the very early days, you know, and just turned up at gigs and sort of got to know the band really well. Um, so they were a great help to us, and we just literally handed out flyers at the end of the gig in the um, in the foyer of Hammersmith Odeon, and it just kind of went from there. And then people started sending them back. We. Um, and my dad had this um, shop that he used as an office for his photography business in um, in Leeds. Yeah. At the famous Upper Accommodation Road, which was a fan club address. And uh, really, it was just a, a manky old end terrace house with a shop window at the front. And um, my dad used to do his um, photography upstairs. He did all his own... Um, um, developing and stuff like that and he used, to, he used to take pictures of babies and weddings and stuff that was his, his sort of business and uh, we ran the fan club from there and uh, it just really went from strength to strength I think when we produced our first newsletter we'd got a thousand members and then by the second one we would got three thousand and then people were starting to join from other countries you know Sweden was a popular one and we had fans in Japan and America and um, Finland, France, Italy, Germany, of course, everywhere. And wow. uh, we used to get um, fan club members coming over and would often stay with me and Paul in our flat. Um, wow, right. So you're, you're re- that's that's taking it to a whole new level of, oh, yeah, of fan yeah. club we service. Had, um, oh, yeah, yeah, we did. We had, um, we had Lars Ekberg over from Sweden. And his friends, they came over. We had Ros Lawrence from San Francisco. She came over and uh, stayed with us. Um, yeah, we had uh, Wade. Wade Brooks came over from St. Louis. Wow. Um, and you're still and you're still in touch with these people today. Well, I am. Yeah. Well, sadly, when Phil died, um, people started coming out of the woodwork because, of course, we got Facebook by then. So. Yeah. People like Roz in San Francisco and Wade and Lars and, yeah, and Pete, the guy from Middlesbrough, they all sort of, um, in fact, Pete came to Phil's funeral in the end, um, but they all contacted me on Facebook when Phil died and we've sort of, we've become friends again since, which is great, you know, yeah. and um, I've even been over to Sweden and visited Lars and his family and, you know, oh, shared wonderful. some old memories. Oh, that so, is, yeah. that's wonderful. That really is, and I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm, and I'm sure Phil would be delighted that, that that his passing meant that you did all connect again. Well, yeah, yeah, because I mean, it was a special time, and there was, you know, I don't know. I mean, to me, I feel very kind of honoured that I was part of that, and from the very beginning, yeah, 
you know, I mean, even though I wasn't running the fan club from the beginning, you know, for those three years, sort of late 79 to 82, I, it was my, my life. It was my full-time job. You know, that's what I did for a job. Yeah. And, um, you know, in those days, it was, it was hard work because yeah. all the, we, we had to write, everything was by hand, you yeah. know, all, everybody's, um, names and addresses, all the fan club members' names and addresses were all written on index cards, you know, by hand. Every time yeah. we sent out, um, fanzines or anything else, we had to write, physically write the envelopes out, you know, and stick the stamps on and. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. It was a, it, yeah, no, it was no. A big uh, operation. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no Wi Fi printer and, yeah, rattling no. things out. Yeah. It's, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know what it's. I, 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 you know, when I was posting demos of my band all over the world, it was back in those days, and and uh, and yeah, it's it, it, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of trips to the post office as well. Well, it was, yeah, because there were so many. You know, we had to take them in in sacks. So, uh, <laughs> but um, the first tour we went on was um, was actually the Ace of Spades tour. Oh wow! And um, Paul and I. Um, I had a marina van because I just passed my driving test in May 1980. And um, I remember I I had a blue marina van, which we bought for about 500 quid, I think, which was quite expensive in them days. And um, we went off. I hadn't driven for for six months since I'd passed my test. So when I first started driving again, when I'd got the van, was to go on this tour. (laughs) And... um, we we had um, we used to have like a fan club stand at um, the gigs, so we'd all, we'd arrive early in the afternoon and sort of find the manager, whoever was managing the place, and uh, they'd find us a little table or something and tell us where we could set up in the foyer, and um, we'd have a little stand, you know, we'd have our our forms for people to fill in to join the fan club and. You know, we'd have a few maybe motorhead bangers, stickers or badges or something like that. But we didn't really do merchandise in the beginning. Um, and um, a lot of that tour, we actually slept in the back of the van after the gigs, which was bloody cold because I think it was November, a lot of it. And, yeah, um... <laughs> uh, yeah it's, it, I mean, yeah, it's been romanticised over the years, like staying in the van with the gear overnight as being something yeah, that's yeah. cool. It's horrific. It was horrific. And yeah. uh, and uh, especially for me being a girl, you know, um, toileting wasn't the easiest thing. And, and and we usually had to sort of find lay-bys to, to park up in overnight to sleep in. And I mean, I remember one on one occasion um, we got stopped by the police. I think we were going between a sort of we were going from Cardiff and we were on our way to Pool and we were driving over Salisbury Plain and we got stopped by the police because it was about four in the morning and we were in a van and they were just suspicious as you know as to what we were doing on Salisbury Plain at four AM in the morning in a van. Um, and after them. that and no, that's true. And after that we um we ended sleep we ended up sleeping in Stonehenge car park that night, I think. <laughs> Uh, no, that now that, that couldn't be more Spinal <laughs> Tap, really, could it? No, I know. <laughs> and uh, I had several breakdowns as well. I think um, we go, we conked out on the way to Dundee to the gig in Dundee. It conked out on the Tay Bridge, and we actually had to be pushed off the Tay Bridge. Oh no! Um, yeah, and um, I think the engine seized 
at Portsmouth, so I ended up having to have a new engine, and then my big end went or something. And it was just, <laughs> it was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. But um, that was that was a great tour. Really enjoyed that. And we had like, um, we had. Uh, I remember there was one occasion where um, I had because we used to have to wash in in the venues, you know, wherever the the band yeah. were playing. We'd arrive at the venue in the afternoon, you know, and I used to go into the ladies to have a wash or something because because we weren't staying in, we couldn't afford to stay in hotels or anything. So it was yeah. really difficult to find places to wash. And um, I think it was one of the gigs at Birmingham. We arrived near the hotel where the band was staying and parked up in this multi-story car park and I just threw a complete wobbler and said, <laughs> I wasn't getting out of the van until I could have a shower. <laughs> so... So Paul just left me there in the in the um, in the van and went off, and um, so I just sat and cried for half an hour, and then he turned up with uh, Lemmy's hotel room key. Oh. Lemmy had given him given him the key to his hotel room, so I could go and have a shower in his room. Oh, that's brilliant! So that was nice, yeah. And um, yeah, Lemmy Lemmy was Lemmy was great. He was. I mean, I've heard a lot of people. You know, on your other podcast, said you know that he was really great with women and really encouraged women and helped women and stuff. But he was very, he was very sweet as well. I think he he sort of thought of me as a bit of a little sister as well. And he he'd always, he always looked out for me. Yeah. You know, whenever whenever I was around, like at the Alex and things, he'd always kept keep asking me if I was okay and checking on me and things. And uh, I remember on that Ace of Spades tour after the gig at Bristol. Um, we got invited back to the um, the Angels Clubhouse, and uh, we I think it was me and Phil and Lemmy and Eddie and Mick Murphy, the bouncer at the time, and Paul. Um, there were probably a few other people I can't remember, but we went back to this house, and I just remember it's like a normal terraced house, but I remember they had CCTV outside, which at the time was really kind of high tech and stuff. And uh, we went into this house, and uh, they actually had a proper bar in the back room with optics and things. Wow! And um, <laughs> yeah, and while uh, <laughs> while Lemmy and the band went, they had a, like a basement room with a pool table and things. And Lemmy and the rest of the band went down there to play pool, and and I sat in the bar with one of these angels who was making me cocktails. Wow! He made me uh, Harvey Wallbangers. <laughs> <laughs> Because I remember at the time thinking how bizarre it was. You know, it's not the sort of thing you expect to find in the Hells Angels clubhouse somehow. But they were so nice. They were really nice people. But before we went in, I remember Lemmy saying to me, you stay close to Mick Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he was looking, you know, he was looking out for me even then. Yeah. Sort of yeah. thing. And uh, he was great like that. <clears throat> And uh, he was, you know, he was a great guy. He was so, he was very kind. He was very intelligent. I remember how impressed I was the first time I read the words to Motorhead. Yeah. I'm thinking, wow, you know, that's really good. Because <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't think, you know, to look at him and everything, that he was the guy that he was, you know. He was highly intelligent. He was very, um, um, you know, very eloquent. And very well read, read as well. Very. Oh, he used to read like a fool. I mean, he told me he could read three books in a night because he didn't. I mean, when we stayed at his house, he didn't. He only used to sleep about every three days, I think. 
And uh, he used to, because me and Paul used to sleep in his bed, <coughs> in his room, and he'd just sit up reading. Wow. And he used to, but he used to read the Frankel letters that we took down as well. Ah, right. And he used to write, you know, he used to, to, to write replies to quite a few of them as well, you know, personal replies to people. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was really good like that because people had that, they did have that personal connection. And I think that's why the fan club did so well. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we did see them regularly. We did show them letters and things that people had sent in. You know, they were, I think the fans felt like they were really involved. And, um, you know, the fanzines, um, we used to print everything. You know, they're so un-PC now when I look at them, those fanzines. <laughs> yeah, we, I can I mean, imagine, yeah. Literally, the, the the interviews we did with them, I used to type up completely verbatim. I didn't leave, we left nothing out at all, all the swearing, all the drug references, everything. Yeah. And I think over those couple of years, we did actually get some complaints from parents. Oh, because of that, you know, because yeah. obviously some of the kids were quite young yeah. that joined the fan club. But, you know, the, the, you know, it's like the, some of your other interviewees were saying, there was no health and safety in those days and there was no being PC either, really. No, anything you know? anything went back then, that's for sure. <laughs> it, it, it was what it was, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, it was... Um, but isn't it amazing to think that all the you know all these years later you know you were you yeah. were you were putting that little you know you're putting that little fan club together and everything and you think all these years later even after they've all left us motorhead is, is still going well i know i know it's quite unbelievable really i mean because it's it, it you know when you when you look back to things like i mean the gig at port vale 40,000 people was just i mean incredible and that was kind of like you you know you really thought wow this is as good as it gets sort of thing you know yeah this is as big as they're gonna get but you know little did we all know what sort of a legendary band they were they would be um yeah. I, I mean that gig at port vale I, I actually went on stage at that gig to announce the raffle because we used to have with the fan club we always had um a raffle um, our fan club stalls, and we used to raffle off a bullet belt. Oh, that's brilliant! I can just imagine. I can just imagine there's going to be a few listeners who were who were at that show, and they're well, going yeah. to remember the girl who came out and did the raffle. Well, they will because I actually told them all to be quiet because <laughs> when I walked on stage, there was this great roar. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, there was no women on the stage then. It was all men, and I walked, and I was so nervous. I remember standing at the side of the stage, looking out on this sea of people. And waiting for the signal, you know, that I could walk over. And my yeah. teeth were chattering so bad. Oh, bless I you. Thought, I thought, I'm not going to be able to speak. I'm not going to be able to speak. Yeah. I was absolutely terrified. I and when I did it. walk out, as I say, there was a huge roar went up. And I couldn't hear myself. So I just shouted at them all to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> my dad actually got it on video. And I don't even know if it still exists on video. I mean, I've... Unfortunately, when my dad my dad died, he got ill. He, he went a bit doolally beforehand. He got cancer and it went to his brain. And a lot of these videos, we don't know what happened to them. Oh, that's okay. Um, but that was one of them. He actually filmed it from the side. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so that was that was a very scary moment for me. But but amazing. I can imagine. I can imagine though, but especially when you're somebody who is 
you know, not regularly, you know, au fait with going on stage. Well, no, not at all. And to um, walk I mean, out I... in front of that that kind of crowd, in inverted commas, yeah. I mean, that's... Wow. That I mean, I had, I, had done it, I had done it a couple of times before, like, at, um, you know, at smaller gigs. Yeah. Um, yeah, but this but was it, next but level. I didn't, yeah, I didn't always do the, do the raffle draw, but then I had another occasion... Um, which I think was, oh, what was that, which tour was it, when um, we had all the um, the pie throwing. Oh, I think it was the end of the Ace of Spades tour at Hammersmith Odeon. Right. Um, the last gig I went on, and it was the only, t- the, the first and last time I ever wore a dress. To a Motred gig. Ah. I mean, it, uh, yeah. Uh, right, okay. Um, I went on stage at Hammersmith Odeon to draw the raffle, and Paul, my boyfriend at the time, ran up behind, unbeknown to me, ran up behind me and pulled my skirt up round my ears while oh. I was standing on the stage. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I presume, I presume once you got off stage, he was ex-boyfriend. Uh, well, yeah, more, well, he did become ex-boyfriend, not, not too long after that, but not because of that. But, I mean, it got worse because then everybody got out the shaving foam and the, the foam pies started flying around because it was the last night of the tour. Oh, So no. ev- everybody got a good pie in that night, I think. Oh. Um, there's quite a few photographs of those banded around as well with um, people with, you know, foam on their faces and stuff. We all got a pie in the face at the end of that. I think it was the road crew that did all that. So I so um, so listening to listening to the you know the um, the the re-release um, that that you've been sent that must have brought back some memories as well. Oh yeah, yeah. And the I pa- mean, it's, is there is there is there kind of like stuff in the packaging as well that that you remember that triggers off memories? Oh yeah, well a lot of the Polaroids that are, are, are sort of on some of the on the inside sleeve. I mean, unfortunately. I haven't been able to play them because where I live at the moment, I haven't got my um, turntable or a CD player. Ah. But, um, <laughs> but um, uh, the the photographs, a lot of the Polaroids, I remember, because Lenny and Phil used to take a lot of Polaroids, and um, a lot of those are familiar to me from right. over the years, yeah. you know, and people that I recognised in there. Um, and uh, it was interesting listening to your podcast with Chris Needs because... Uh, I remember him being there on a lot of that tour. Right. Being completely off his face most of the time. Um, <laughs> oh, he left that out of the interview, didn't he? <laughs> well, I don't think he did, actually. I seem to recall he did admit to that. Oh, no, you're right, actually. You did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I think him him and my boyfriend, Paul, got on quite well. So, um, you know, I've got quite a few photographs with the two of them in being... Being, uh, you know, pulling stupid faces and doing silly things. Um, you know, I remember things like backstage playing charades and, you know, daft things like that that you wouldn't expect to be doing. Yeah. After a motorhead gig <laughs> in a bar, really. But, you know, well, and, uh, and lots of goes. occasions with people being very drunk and falling off stools and out of windows and all sorts of things, you know, like that. But, as I say, I couldn't pinpoint any particular gig or any particular place because it all kind of merged together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I completely understand how that would happen. <laughs> but it was great fun. It was it was fantastic. I mean, I enjoyed it at, at at the time, but I enjoy it even more now thinking back because it was it was so unique and, and 
I don't know, so so kind of raw in a lot of ways. Yes. You know, I remember, because, um, I, I mean, I stopped doing the fan club in 82. I, I moved on after Eddie left. Things changed a bit, and I kind of moved on to other things. And, uh, you know, Alan Burridge took took over everything and, and carried on, obviously, and did a fantastic job for many years after that. But... Um, you know, I didn't see I didn't see Lemmy for quite a long time after after Phil left the band the second time. Um, I didn't see Lemmy for about thirteen years, and oh, then wow. uh, I just turned up when they played they played um, the O2 in Leeds in two thousand and nine, and I just turned up at the stage door on the off chance that I could I could go in, and I managed to get a message to him anyway. Long story short. I got in, they gave me a backstage pass and I sat and with my then husband and we just sat in the dressing room with Lemmy for about an hour before the gig, just just talking. And um, everything was so different. It just struck me how different it was. I mean, the three members of the band all had their own dressing rooms for a start, you know, and people were coming in every two minutes and saying, oh, can I get you anything, Lemmy? Do you want this? Do you want that? And, you know, and I was kind of astounded, really, because it was so different to how it was yeah. in my day. You yeah. know, where... They were sort of shoved in a back room somewhere with a few sausage rolls and a few cans of beer, you know. Yes. And anybody and everybody would be walking in and out while they were changing the trousers and, you know. Yeah, yeah, Fa- famous <laughs> famous British hospitality for bands, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, uh, you know, it was it, it was so different when I saw him then in 2009. And, but, it, but it, again, it was great because they were playing a gig there with, on that particular occasion, they were playing with girls' school. And with the damned as well, and um, brilliant. Of course, I hadn't seen girls' school for years either, and so it was great to see them because you know, obviously, I got to know them quite well from the. Um, I think it was a bomber tour they did with them, was it? Yeah. Um, you know, and Kim, um, you know, Kim, Kim was um, quite became a, a bit of a friend, and um, you know, I, it was it was really nice to see them again because I'd not seen them for so many years, and. And uh, it, it was a it was a great night, and really, really enjoyed it. And it just made me appreciate how lucky I'd been, you know, to be around in the old days. And you know, it, and it was nice to be remembered as well by people, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you because the thing is, you 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 end up in a situation like that, and it's you think about you you think about oh you know oh I remember that person I remember that person, but it's just it's just as nice to actually be remembered as well. Yeah. Yes, yes, it was because I mean I was I, I I was um I suppose I was a bit I was a bit shy in in the day really because um you know people used to obviously because they knew I was Phil's sister they come and talk to me at gigs and some people had even asked me for my autograph which used to really embarrass me because I think <laughs> you know why would anybody want my autograph you know yeah and I mean of course I used to do it because I didn't want to be rude to anyone yeah. Um, but at the same time, I used to get really embarrassed by it. Um, but but fortunately, with Paul, my boyfriend, he was a, a really good ligger. And I think a lot of those gigs that we went to as the fan club, we wouldn't have even got into if it hadn't been for him. Right. Because a lot of the time, we used to turn up at gigs, uh, supposedly on a on a guest list or whatever, and you know you'd get the usual, oh no, sorry, you're not on the guest list. And I'd say. Well, I'm Phil Taylor's sister, and they go, "Yeah, of course you are, love." You know, yeah, f off sort of thing. But Paul <laughs> somehow always managed to talk his way in. We always managed to get in because of him. 
or or we'd we'd catch a member of the road crew out the back or something who'd get us in or. Well, it sounds like you, you know, had, it sounds so. like you had the perfect boyfriend for the time. I mean, apart from the well, apart did. from the dress lifting over the head incident. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We did, and he was. I mean, he was on the same level as Phil and Lemmy, and he got on really well with them. I mean, even after we split up, he carried on going to gigs and stuff. And he because he used to do a lot of. He was a very good artist, and he used there was him and uh, another guy who I'm still friends with now called Chris Harris, who um, used to do. Um, comic strips, like Motorhead comic strips. Um, I think Chris Harris did the Rock Invaders thing because they had some T-shirts, um, some Rock Invaders T-shirts, and he actually did um, did a comic strip as well about Rock Invaders featuring Motorhead and Lemmy, which we had in some of our fanzines. Um, sadly, I think it kind of dwindled after a short while, but um, but um, they were both really, really good artists. Yeah. And uh yeah, Paul was a bit of a waste really. Sadly he passed when he was only 50, but um Ah. Well, I'm glad you. I, I'm glad you said only fifty because I'm fifty-one. So that, yeah. make, that makes oh, me. Right. That makes me feel young. Thank you. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, um, I, I didn't see much of him in his latter years, but yeah. I mean, we made quite a good team back in the day, and uh, we had such fun. We and, had um, such fun. And it what about? Um, and what about? Was that two thousand and nine? Um, visit was that was that the last time you saw Lemmy? No, no, because um, we we went to in two thousand and I mean this is another story completely. But Phil had a brain aneurysm in at the end of two thousand and eleven. Yeah, and um, me and my sister ended up bringing him back from LA um, six months later because. Um, he well, he, he basically he 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 didn't really he, he recovered. He was lucky that he did recover, you know, because a lot of people die from brain aneurysms. But yeah. he was never the same after that, and he didn't, you know, he wasn't married. He didn't have anyone to look after him really. So he had to. We had to bring him back. I mean, we didn't really have a choice. I mean, the the sad thing was, we only found out about it on Facebook because somebody had put something on Facebook saying that he was in hospital. Oh no. And, you know that's how we found out so me and my sister went straight over there and as I say we ended up long story short we ended up bringing him back to England and uh, he lived with my sister in Derbyshire for the last three years of his life but um, when we went out to LA um, I contacted Lemmy for help because um, I knew Lemmy lived in LA then but um, we didn't know anyone out there so you know we had no idea what we were going to because Phil wasn't very good at keeping in touch, so we didn't know very much about his life out there and who his friends were and what he was doing or anything. So Lemmy was the only person that I knew who lived in L.A. So I rang him up and uh, he put us in touch with um, his manager and um, who was fantastic while we were there, sent a stretch limo to the airport to pick us up. And, oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, looked looked after us really well while we were there and sort of helped us out with Phil, you know, because um, we did need quite a lot of help sorting things out for him. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I did, and we took we took Phil to Donington in 2013 when had played there. Oh, brilliant! So um, we were all kind of reunited there, and and then again um, when I think in 2014. Yeah. At Birmingham, when Eddie Eddie played on stage with him and Phil was there too and he just went on the stage at the end but he wouldn't 
he wouldn't go on while they were playing, but he did go on the stage with them at the end because, um, you know, there's photographs of all of them together. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was, I think that was the last time I saw them. Yeah. Uh, I saw I saw Eddie. I saw Eddie in 2017, I think, when he played with um, Fastway, with Saxon and um, Girls' School. Yeah. They played at, uh, I think it was Rock City in Nottingham where we went. But, um, um, but that was a, that was the last time I saw Eddie. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, there was only six weeks between Phil dying and Lemmy dying. I know. I, that's unbelievable, isn't it? Because mm, I know that Lemmy was very upset about Phil. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was. And, um, you know, all the time that Phil was was over here, when we brought him back, Lemmy was constantly messaging me and asking me how he was, you know, and, and uh, how he was getting on and stuff. And uh, so, he, you know, he really cared about Phil. They were like brothers. Yes. Yeah, in fact, they were probably too close to being a band together. Yeah, yeah. I think so, yeah. They they were like, um, you know, they were like a double act. Very much so, a double act. Yeah. They just um, sparred off each, off each other all the time. It was hilarious. Most of it went completely over my head, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it was always it was always fun being amongst them. That's for sure. It, it sounds it sounds like um, Motorhead has been you know has been a, has been a huge part of your life. And um, oh yeah, but but it's totally. but it's also so cool that it's. It's still able to be a part of your life, though, you know. We're do- yeah. doing things like this, but that's that's neither here nor there. It's the the friendships you made and those connections that yeah. are still strong after all these years. I think that's wonderful. Well, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it was so it was so lovely when all those people got in touch with me, you know, after after Phil died and uh, after he got ill. It was great to 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 see and speak to Lemmy again and Eddie, of course. And I mean, Eddie was great as well when Phil was ill. He came to visit him several times, and you know, yeah. he was always ringing up to see how he was. You know, one of the three amigos. They were very, very close. And you know, I mean, I know that that um, Mickey D and Phil Campbell went on to, you know, were in Motorhead a lot longer than than Phil and Eddie were, but still, those three. Yeah. You know, I think they were a really special combination. You know, as people, not just the music they produced, but you know, as people, they were just a perfect match for each other. Yeah, they really were. It was. A, it was. A, it, I think the word is chemistry, isn't it? You know, you look at that. Yeah. I, you, and you look at that iconic picture of them. You know, the 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 cover of Ace of Spades. I mean. Yeah. Th- I mean, that's 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 legendary outside of the world of music. You know. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just iconic. That's it. You know, I everyone know. knows what that image is. And it still amazes me now that people, you know, I don't have to explain who Motorhead are or were anymore. You know, when yes. I talk about my past to people and I say, oh, yeah, I used to be, my brother used to be in this, you know, they were called Motorhead. And they went, what? Motorhead? Really? You know, yeah. <laughs> people who you would not expect would have even heard of Motorhead. But it still amazes me now that everybody knows who Motorhead is. It does. It, well, well, look, everybody does, and I mean, you were a huge part of it. Um, and I can't thank you enough for sharing all of these these memories and stories because I know that I know the listeners are going to, you know, be absolutely glued to this. So I, I just thank you very much on behalf of everybody for 
for taking the time out and doing this. Well, thank you too. And I'd like to say hello to any of the old MHBs that remember me from back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> because there were lots of them. I'm sure there'll be lots of them that are still out there. Well, I, still I, listening. Well, I hope you get absolutely battered with Facebook friend requests. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we finished up. Um, I cannot thank Helen enough for doing that. Um, it was it was great fun. It was very revealing. Um, there was quite a, there well there was there was areas of conversation there I fully didn't expect to stray into, but we did. And um, yeah, it was just really really cool. And uh, and hopefully one day uh, we will get to meet up in person as well because um, it's I mean it's been great doing all of these interviews. I'm, I I absolutely love doing it. Um, but we did start in lockdown. I, I, I'd love to do some face-to-face um, motorcast uh, interviews as well, just just for the hell of it. And also to like meet some of the people that we've already had a chat to because it's been really good fun. Um, I hope you're enjoying it. I really am. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I did doing it. There we go. Can't have an episode where I don't say that. Um, it just remains me to say thank you very much to each and every one of you for continuing to support the motorcast. You can continue to do that by telling your friends. And if you're not subscribed, please subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Look for a button. It will say subscribe. There'll be a bell. There'll be something. Click that and it will make sure that you get one of these every fortnight. How cool is that? Thank you very much for listening. Speak to you again in a couple of weeks. I don't say agreed. The only God I need is the Ace of Spades. The Ace of Spades.